This is a News Laundry podcast. Welcome to this special discussion we have put together with the Reuters Institute. Uh, we'll start off with a report that Rasmus and his team have prepared that tell you about the digital news space in 40 countries around the world. So welcome to this um, very special session in partnership with Reuters. Uh, I will not explain much of what we're doing right now, other than that we have a fantastic panel and I'm thrilled that they all could make time for this. I'll introduce them later, but for now, let me just introduce Professor Rasmus Kleiss Nielsen. I hope I pronounced that correctly, Rasmus. Hi, Rasmus. Can you hear me? Yes, thank you very much. Um, and thanks Not for this. So you're the director of the Reuters Institute um, and uh, a director of the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism. You're a professor of political communication at the University of Oxford. And you've been the director of research at the Reuters Institute and editor-in-chief of the International Journal of Press Politics. Uh, you are now going to present this um, report that you've done on digital news. I'll leave the rest to you to tell us. Thank you very much. Um, I mean, that's a very kind introduction and it's a pleasure to be able to do this in partnership with the News Laundry and with a great panel. So every year at the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism, we publish what we call the Digital News Report, where we look at um, how people use news and media across the world and how they think about um, issues around news and media. And um, while the report covers 40 markets uh, across the globe, uh, it doesn't currently cover India. We hope to uh, address that in the future. But we've always found that it's been really interesting to discuss the key findings with journalists and with editors and executives from across uh, India to think about what the implications of these global trends might be in India. Sometimes there are similarities, sometimes there are differences, and I look forward to discussing that with uh, our great panel. What I want to do before that is just to run through a few key findings from this year's uh, global report, which was published on June 16th. Um, before we then open up to a discussion of what things look like in India, I will draw a few instances on some work we did in 2019 um, with support from the Indian Express, uh, Quint, uh, the Hindu Media Group, um, and the Press Trust of India, where we, set, we surveyed specifically English language internet users in India. So we have a few comparative touch points there specifically for the situation in India. But first, the digital news report. The Digital News Report is the world's biggest ongoing survey of news and media use. We cover 40 markets in 2020 with more than 80,000 respondents. It's based uh, because we are interested in digital news specifically on an online panel. Uh, so of course, in some countries that we cover like Kenya, South Africa and Mexico and others, this will underrepresent the habits of the part of the population who are not online yet, often older people, less affluent people, less privileged people. So that needs to be taken into account here. The report is made possible by 15 different sponsors, including uh, the Google News Initiative, independent media regulators like Ofcom in the UK, media organizations like BBC, as well as foundations and universities in different countries to support this piece of work. Really, I think um, in this year, we need, of course, to also think about uh, what the report tells us in light of the impact of the coronavirus crisis that is ravaging societies and also the media in many countries around the world. Um, the majority of the data collection was done in January and February, so the main report doesn't really speak to the coronavirus crisis, but we have done some polling in early April that gives us a sense uh, of how this crisis has impacted media. And before I dive into the key findings from the main report, I just want to give a quick sense of what we know about the coronavirus crisis impact on the news media across the world. 
So first of all, of course, we've seen in many countries um, a real surge uh, in, uh, in news use uh, around the crisis, in particular from trusted brands who seem to benefit disproportionately as people turn to trusted providers of news in this crisis. We see in the UK, for example, here, these are figures for UK traffic to the BBC News website, that the number of unique browsers has really shot up uh, as the uh, government announced the shielding measures in mid-March. And as the crisis was as the highest, the BBC news website, sort of UK traffic was well over twice what it normally is. And then there's been some tapering off uh, in, the, in the sort of months since, but still the level is much, much higher than it was before the crisis. We surveyed across six countries to get a sense of what this looks like in different places across the world, um, where we compared the January figures with the figures that what we found in when we surveyed in April. And what we find there is a upsurge in television news use uh, as well as an upsurge in online and social media uh, news use, even as print declines. And of course, we think here, of course, print in part is about the restrictions in distribution and television that we think is sort of people turning to familiar providers in a moment of crisis. Online news and social, we would expect are more structural changes that will stay with us even after the crisis as some of the television bump and some of the print decline, but not all of it may uh, sort of write itself after the crisis. Another side of the situation today that we were already studying closely before the coronavirus crisis, but of course is compounded by it, is the business of news and the issues that surround uh, how we fund independent professional journalism. It's clear that the crisis has had direct and immediate impact on many news providers, um, but it's also, I think, important to understand here the broader and longer term trends that we see in the digital media space. And one thing that's key there really, I think, is the question of whether people will pay for news. Uh, it's clear that advertising is growing harder and harder in the online space. The majority of digital advertising goes to a small number of large US-based technology companies, Google, Facebook, and a few others. And publishers, both uh, legacy and digital born, who have often relied heavily on advertising, I find it very hard to make that work as the sole or, or primary base of revenue. So across the world, more and more different uh, publishers are turning, at least in part, to reader revenue. Um, and while we still have a situation where it's only a minority, and in most countries, a small minority of people who pay for digital news, we do find in uh, many of the markets that we study in 2020, small but significant increases in the number of people who say that they are paying for online news. In the United States, you know, uh, an increase now 20% say they are paying for some form of online news. Some European markets are seeing increase. The Nordic countries have very high levels of pay behavior, markets like Australia as well. So we do see some increase here in the number of people who say that they're paying for news, even though it is still a minority. We did a deeper dive in this issue of pay uh, in three countries, uh, in the US, the UK, and in Norway. Norway, because there are such high levels of pay that we really want to understand what were the dynamics in that market. And the patterns we find, I think, are relatively clear, and also the, though there also are some differences from market to market. So first of all, we see in most cases that a limited number of very prominent upmarket national brands tend to capture the majority um, of, of subscriptions. This is the percentage of people who say that they're paying for access to a given title in each of these countries. And in most of them, we have a limited number of big national titles who account for a very large share, a sort of winner takes most dynamic. Norway is the most important exception here, though uh, large national brands that I often post in VG have very high numbers of subscribers. We also see a very large number of local papers in Norway who are recording digital subscription success. Uh, so 
it, winner takes most dynamic, but in some countries like the US and Norway, we see a growing number of people who have not just one subscription to a big national brand, but also a local paper or a specialist title on top of it. When we ask people why they pay, there are really sort of three main motivations. Um, the first one is the distinct sort of quality content. Uh, so in both the US and the UK, this is by far the most common reason that people say that they subscribe to something online. We also find that convenience and price is important. This is what the experience of the product itself, both in the US and the UK, but also Norway, this is named by many as a reason for paying. And sometimes, of course, this is in part a, a, a bundle, as in this case from a quote from the qualitative research in the US uh, with a Washington Post subscriber who has this bundle with an Amazon Prime subscription. And then we also see a large number of people, particularly in the US with the political situation, who say that they are paying uh, to support journalists because they believe in the mission of it. That there is sort of a normative, a principle reason that isn't solely about a commercial transaction where you pay for a product, but also that you believe in the principles behind a particular publication. These, I think, are broadly encouraging. These are things that journalists and news organizations want to lean into. Um, we've also asked uh, people who are not currently paying what might convince them to pay. Again, I think some of these are quite encouraging. More valuable content uh, is named by many. Uh, we also find that some say an ad-free experience might wor be worth paying for, uh, as ads can be intrusive and degrade the experience of using the product. Uh, some people say that price is, a, is an issue. They want a cheaper or more flexible solution. Of course, there are many discussions of this in different parts of the industry. But I think we also need to be realistic that a large number of people, in particular in the UK and the US, say that nothing will make them pay for digital news. 50% in the UK, 40% in the US say that nothing will make them pay for online news. And the reason why, I think, is clearly captured in this quote from the qualitative research we've done, where a young woman in the UK say it's too expensive and that she feels there's nothing that she can't get for free on Apple News. And I think we just need to recognize with the, the abundance of news that's provided free at the point of consumption, often aggregated or distributed on platforms, there's a very large number of people in many countries who are perfectly content with what they can access for free. So of course, beyond payment, there are also other ways of trying to generate reader revenues. One model that's uh, growing in popularity is uh, donations and memberships. So we also looked at that. I think we need to stress here, it's a very small number of people who uh, donate or, or sign up as members of news organizations. 4% in the US is the highest figure we have, 3% in Spain, 1% in the UK. When we look at why people do it, we, I think we can infer some of that from the brands that they support. They are often heavily mission driven. Uh, the Guardian in the UK, in the US, uh, NPR and its various affiliates. But I think we should also just sort of caution against the assumption in some circles to sometimes think that this is primarily on the left. I think that depends a lot on the political context in different countries. So for example, in Norway, the two sites that are named here as, as amongst the most, um, the brands that benefit the most from donations and membership are both right-wing alternative uh, news sources um, that cater to a minority in Norway who feel poorly served by established media. The premise uh, of getting people to pay often is trust. This is recognized clearly by the World Association of News Publishers, who said sort of trust is the new currency of news. So where are we with trust in news? That's another big issue in this year's report. 
The top line really is uh, not very encouraging. Um, trust is down across the board. Uh, most of the measures we have show an erosion. These are the averages across the 40 markets we cover in 2020. So trust in news overall is down. Trust in news I use is down. Trust in news in search and trust in news in social, both of them much lower at the global level are also down though uh, not significantly. So we have less than half of our respondents saying that they trust the news that they use. And I think it's useful here to just sort of pause for a minute and look at what things looked like in India when we surveyed English language internet speakers in India in 2019 and just compare. The pattern in India is in some ways quite similar, but also an interestingly different in some ways. So trust in news overall and trust in news I use, very similar in India, but trust in news in search and trust in news in social significantly higher, uh, at least amongst our English language internet users uh, than what we saw in the global report this year. In many markets across the world, we see declines, often driven by polarized politics, uh, by angry disputes over issues of sort of public policy or, or culture, um, and deep disagreements. This can be the Hong Kong extradition bill protest, it can be the Brexit discussions and general election in the UK and similar issues. And of course, uh, this, this is a very difficult and challenging environment for journalists to navigate. Beyond the issue of trust, I think there is another side to where we are with our news and media environment today, which is the issue of misinformation. Uh, this is perhaps a, a, a dark background against which journalism can shine and which quality publishers and distinct publishers can stand out uh, against all the different problems that people can, uh, encounter online. Uh, this year, uh, across the 40 markets that we study, more than half of our respondents say they're concerned about whether the news they come across online is false uh, or, uh, or true. And in, when we ask about uh, what sources of potentially false and misleading information people are most concerned about, the, th the, the pattern is very consistent across the world. People are most of all concerned about the behavior of politicians. Uh, this is the source of potentially false and misleading information that most people say that they're concerned about. It's also clear that there are some people who are concerned about activists and some people who are concerned about journalists or indeed by ordinary people, sort of strangers that they come across on the internet. But the central focal point um, of concern here really is about domestic politicians who many people say are spreading false and misleading information. Now, of course, problems of misinformation are not only about the sources of misinformation, it's also about the platforms via which this misinformation is distributed. And here we find that concern is really centered um, uh, on, um, sorry, I'm just going to skip this one uh, in the interest of time, are centered on the big platforms. So 29% of our respondents say they see Facebook uh, as a concerning platform for false and misleading information. A large number of people say they see messenger apps like WhatsApp owned by Facebook. There are concerns about uh, search engines like Google, uh, video sharing platforms like YouTube, and also some concern over Twitter, though, of course, because Twitter is used by many fewer, there is also much less concern. Here, there are some interesting differences from country to country. So if we look at, um, at what platform people are most worried about in different parts of the world, in the United States, Facebook is the center point of concern. But in South America, for example, in Brazil and in Chile, people are, more people are concerned about WhatsApp than are concerned about Facebook. In South Africa, there are high levels of concern about both Facebook and WhatsApp. And then there are some interesting variations in Asia Pacific where, for example, in South Korea, uh, concern is focused on the Google-owned YouTube. Um, and in Japan, uh, concern is focused uh, on, on Twitter. 
The platforms are nonetheless widely used despite this very high level of concern, despite the often low levels of trust in the news that people come across there. So looking at just the overall level of use, we find no clear uh, sort of signs of any sort of declines and in fact growth across the board as many of these platforms become more and more widely used by many, many people across the world. So big growth for WhatsApp, big growth for Instagram, some growth for Snapchat and very, very high levels of stable use for Facebook and YouTube, for example. When we look at use for news specifically, so just not just news in general, but news specifically, we've seen some decline over time uh, for Facebook after the algorithm changes um, and, and growth for most of the other platforms. YouTube in particular by now is very widely used. 21% say that they use it as a source of news. WhatsApp is now more widely used as a source of news globally than Twitter is, and there's been real growth for Instagram in particular among younger people. The figures I put on the side there are our 2019 figures for English language internet users in India, where of course, this is a much, much more platform mediated environment as people primarily rely on mobile phones and often access news via platforms where both Facebook, WhatsApp, and YouTube are used by half or more uh, of, uh, of our respondents as a way of accessing news. When we look uh, not just to whether people are using these platforms, but what's their main way of accessing news online. This is the pattern we find across the 40 markets that we cover in 2020. Less than a third say that going direct to a news site or a news app is their main way of accessing news online. Um, and almost three quarters rely on various forms of site door access, where they rely on social media, on search, or on aggregators uh, of various sorts. Here, uh, when we look at young people, the pattern is even more pronounced. Just 16% of people between 18 and 24 in our survey say they rely on direct uh, access to news via news sites or, or, or apps, and a much larger proportion rely on site door access, in particular social media. And of course, this pattern will be recognizable from the point of view of India, in part for technological reasons, but also demographic ones with a much younger population. So this is the breakdown from 2019 uh, for India, where again, the pattern in India here is a much, much greater reliance on distributed forms of discovery, very high levels of reliance on search, on social, on mobile alerts and aggregators, much higher than uh, in most other countries that we look at. This is a challenging environment for publishers, uh, but I'm uh, glad to say we also find some evidence of resurgence of editorial curation and new ways in which editors and, and journalists can demonstrate to people that they're creating real value that's distinct from what is offered by large aggregators and various platforms. So we find in particular that email newsletters as sort of an old technology, but used in new ways are becoming more and more important. 16% um, of our respondents uh, across 40 markets, 21% in the US say that they get news via emails. And we see of course some major brands like the New York Times really investing now in building up a portfolio of newsletters uh, with a clear identity, with a host and a clear value added proposition, whether that's to broaden the funnel at the top to bring in more readers or to create more value for loyal subscribers to try to retain them um, uh, for longer and, and make sure that they are really well served. Email newsletters is only one way in which this is done. We also see podcasts uh, are being offered as sort of convenient audio briefing. Podcast consumption has been hit quite hard by lockdown in many countries as people don't commute, they don't listen to as much on-demand audio. But we've also seen the format has been used really well to create bespoke pop-up podcasts around an important issue like coronavirus. And the people who say they are using podcasts are really very happy with it. 50% say that podcasts are giving them a deeper understanding of issues and other types of media. So I think a clear opportunity here, at least for some publishers. So in recap, 
The coronavirus has increased demand for news, but the economics are more uncertain. Uh, platforms are dominating the digital advertising market. Uh, the cyclical downturn is very hard. We see some progress with reader revenues, but it's hard. Um, we see this uh, uptick in subscription and donation, but it's unlikely to work for all. Ad supported will continue to be really important. Um, reader revenue will not work for all brands. It isn't right for all uh, audiences either. And publishers will have to continue to look for a wide variety of different business models to make this work. Trust in news continues to fall with partisanship a key factor in many countries. And I think it's a central issue for publishers, both individually and collectively, how can we rebuild the public's trust in what we do, both because it's essential to our editorial mission, but also because it's going to be the cornerstone of our business going forward. One reason for that might be the sort of backdrop of misinformation, where most people blame politicians and social media, but it is the case that some people blame journalists and news organizations too for the misinformation problems that we see uh, online. And finally, curated experiences uh, and products like email newsletters and podcasts are increasingly important in particular in terms of engaging younger audiences and creating additional value for the most loyal users. So with that, that was sort of a global overview of what we found this year, and I'm really looking forward to the discussion uh, with the panelists. So thank you very much. So thanks, Rasmus. That was very enlightening and many learnings, I'm sure, for all of us. So I'll just get straight into the discussion. I'll introduce the panel. We have Ritu Kapoor uh, from The Quint. She's an Indian media entrepreneur. She's co-founder and the CEO of Quintillion Media. It jointly owns Bloomberg Quint with Bloomberg LP. She's also the co-founder of The Quint. It's a digital news platform, as many of you would know, if not all. And also one of the founding members of Network 18 back in 1992. She's, on the, she's a board member at the Reuters Institute of Journalism, World Editors Forum, and an advisory board member at the British Council for the Future News Worldwide Partnership Program. Welcome, Ritu. Thanks. Great to be here. Um, also with us is Anant Koyanka, the executive director of Indian Express Group. He's credited with successfully growing the Express Group's brand of courageous and independent journalism to a younger, digitally-enabled audience. I, the last few years, you've seen Indian Express has a very, very dominating digital presence. It's investigative journalism from the Panama Papers to Videocon, ICICI transactions, set of policy changes. I don't have to tell most of you consumers the impact that Indian Express has on governance and generally in the news ecosystem. Welcome, Anand. And Avinash Pandey from ABP News Network is the Chief Executive Officer of ANN. Uh, he uh, was the COO and now he heads the group as CEO. He has dedicatedly worked at this group for 13 years. He's on the board of the News Broadcast Association of India. He served on the board of International Advertising Association in the India chapter for over seven years. And he's been a member of the Credit Control in Indian Broadcasting Federation for 15 years. So welcome everybody. So let me start with you, Ritu. Uh, quickly first, I'd just like everybody to take this question. The similarities and the dissimilarities you think from your hunch and instinct of what the Reuters report has found because India is not part of it in various parts of the world, the 40 countries and in our new space. I think the one thing that's, uh, the two things that are, that are clearly uh, very, very similar in, proportionally is one is the growth of Instagram and WhatsApp. Um, I think a few years ago, if you'd done a similar survey, WhatsApp wouldn't have been that prominent outside of countries like Brazil and India. And uh, now we are seeing that, but I find uh, I have to spend a little more time on the report itself, but there seems to be a little more trust uh, in WhatsApp uh, outside of India. Within India, 
it is well perceived as one of the biggest platforms for the circulation of misinformation, disinformation, etc. Um, the other is uh, is the is the growth in paid news. But again, I think in both the surveys that were done in India and the and the the current study that has been done, it's 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 been done online, so it is largely been done with people who are already engaged with content online um, and there is and you see a certain percentage of you know people wanting to now pay for news that they are willing to that they feel they can trust we're seeing the agents of that in india uh, now in fact and similarly during the covid 19 initial uh, surge of news we saw subscriptions rise in india pretty much the same way as subscriptions rose uh, across the world. But of course, you know, absolute numbers are very, very different. But again, it's slightly skewed because in both instances, the, the study has been done with people who are already very active online. Uh, and in India, that, that difference will become much larger because number of people who do not have access to the internet and therefore online news and becomes a challenge. Um, and which Possibly why uh, the the third thing that I think is is similar is is the growth in uh, consumption of news from television. I think that was beginning to slump a bit in India, and I think that's now with coronavirus and the lockdown. I think that's beginning to look up, uh, look up. And of course, the overarching similarity is the falling trust in news. Um, and that's the big question everywhere. That's yeah, the world over. Uh, so Avinash on television, let me come straight to you. Um, clearly, huge, you know, bump in the numbers, but not necessarily leading to a bump in revenue. I'm guessing because of the economic situation. Uh, from your point of view, what did you find that is similar and dissimilar in the Indian market? This report. So, um, as uh, you know, Rasmus showed it that more and more people in India are still coming from social and search. During the COVID time, and during the lockdown time particularly, more and more online consumption started happening. The traffic was coming both from the, uh, from the search engine as well as from your own uh, site directly. And what we were surprised at that the credible brands like ours has a very high volume of direct searches and direct entry. In television, while we are, our viewership went up by 300%, our YouTube number also went up by 300%. So there was a similar trend existing between television and on digital. Because there is no consumption happening in the market as such, the level of advertising was obviously down because advertising happens not only for reach but for the consumption. What we also saw is that that lots of news items which was related with what are the line of treatments available, what different doctors said, uh, those VODs were viewed many times. That means curiosity and a thirst for knowledge of a particular area from the credible source because WhatsApp Everybody was becoming a PhD in COVID to WhatsApp as to what to do, what not to do. And in, in, in that, from a credible source like ABP uh, News Network to uh, uh, bringing good doctors and good health practitioner to the channel and then taking their uh, 
buy it and putting it on the channel on the site actually resulted in very huge amount of traffic. So more or less uh, what Rasmus has shown has reflected. However, there was a higher direct searches on our side as ever before. It saw almost 300% jump. I see. Um, okay, Anand, um, how about the Express? I know for a while you guys were publishing. Uh, so other than the similarities and dissimilarities, if you could also just quickly address that while you had put your uh, e-paper behind the paywall during the lockdown, you actually took down your paywall. Yeah, so we decided to remove the the uh, the, pay, the, the the paywall. In fact, we partnered with several, uh, uh, you know, with 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 with, with, with a few large databases. So, you know, HDFC Bank, for instance, uh, uh, even ICICI. Um, so we said, look, you know, at, at at a moment like this, credible news and information is a service. Uh, we HDFC Bank says, I you know, I want to give my customers a credible source of news and information. They send it to their uh, to their to their database, and you know, so it was, uh, it, it was an enormous success. This this operation, uh, surprisingly, you know, I was a little nervous that people would think you know, unrequested news coming in my inbox every day is, is you know could be a little spammy, but uh, but it was an enormous success. We kept you know we're still getting requests from people to sort of partner so we can send Indian Express to their particular you know client base or whatever. Um, we reintroduced the paywall now. Uh, Obviously, our daily conversions sort of have gone up significantly, but you know, I still think in India on the subscription piece, you know, the numbers are just too small to really say is a similarity or a dissimilarity. I mean, I, 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 I think the jury's still out on that, and you know, I think only time will tell. And I, I don't think anybody's really made that you know big and uh, sort of step in that direction. Arguably, with the exception of the Hindu, uh, which I'm, you know, I think the numbers that we hear at least are very heartening. So. Um, so I think that's a tough one to, you know, subscription, I just don't think is, you know, I mean, it, it, I don't think it occupies a hundred, even 50% of the, of, of management bandwidth. I think I, so it, it was just a way of, you know, at least seeing that, you know, we were doing all this work, we we're putting all our reporters were in so much of harm's way and the paper is not getting distributed, not, it's not printing for, you know, for the, actually for the first month, it was like that. Uh, so we just wanted to make sure that our, you know, the work was getting out. And I think we managed to do that quite successfully. Um, similarities. Other than, the, other than the subscription piece, you know, on the trust factor, yeah. the findings of the report, do you think there are any similarities or dissimilarities? Yeah, I think I would love to know, you know, I would love to know in India whether uh, politicians would be considered a, a higher source of misinformation or not. <laughs> I mean, I think that'd be, that'd be very fascinating because, you know, as um, you know, and you know, this concept of fake news is a word that actually interestingly came around now, you know, by politicians really, but uh, you know, as my chief editor always says, right? Like I think the beautiful line he says that the biggest fake news of the century was when Colin Powell stood up at the United Nations and said that you know the weapons of mass destruction were found in Iraq. I mean that so fake news is the stronger the government, the more the fake news you'll see. And this has been happening forever, right? So, um, so I I don't know the answer to that, and you know we'd love to see that survey done in India. But I think that's one uh, big kind of piece. I think a big similarity uh, uh, that we saw. Um, one is that, you know, the surprising success of the podcast piece, um, even though people are not commuting, I, I was, and you know, and both, um, both Ritu and you are doing podcasts as well. Um, I think that was really, uh, I mean, I, I'm really thrilled, uh, you know, about that. Again, no money in it yet, but, uh, but, I'm, but, but, you know, it was, it shows engagement, right? Like, you know, we see the average time on site for news sites as two minutes, three minutes, 
you know, at best, with, if you're a video-heavy site, three and a half minutes in India. So if somebody, you know, you, you, no matter how small the number is, if somebody is habitually coming and spending 15 minutes on a, on a particular piece of content in an audio format, I think it's a really, you know, encouraging sign. So I think podcast was one similarity uh, that we saw. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, w- I would like to talk about donation. Uh, you know, does donation mean... You know, I mean, will donations only come for opinionated partisan media? Are we saying that? Um, yeah, that's <clears throat> one of the things that's on my list to discuss. But so I, so I, I'll just put a blanket question and I'll ask again and I'll stop then. I think I've spoken for a long time. Today, if we were to open up subscription, I think who you subscribe to, uh, right, uh, is a big voice of sort of, is a big expression of what kind of content you want to succeed. And, you know, I, I dare say, we might not like the answer, but I dare think the winner, if all so mandatory, all, you know, news content on digital has got a paywall, uh, it's put behind the paywall, no matter what the price, assuming the price points are the same, I think we know who the winner will be. And I think, we're, you know, we don't, we don't admit it. Uh, but it, it will be, in my view, the most partisan, uh, you know, opinionated kind of media. Maybe. I'm just, so I think that's an interesting thing I would love to study and sort of get a sense of. Okay, so um, Rasu, sir, I come to the panel to discuss the Indian context. A, India, considering it's one of the largest news market in the world, purely as far as news platforms are concerned, whether it is Hindi, English, or any of the state and language platforms. Um, You did do a study not quite as comprehensive as this in 2019. Uh, Are you planning to do a similar one here? And from your experience as a news professional and an academic in the space, what is your hunch? I mean, we uh, have been very fortunate to be able to do the study last year, uh, which we saw as sort of a pilot study in India. And we worked with uh, various Indian partners on some research in India for some years now, and we really want to expand that. So I very much hope that we will include uh, several Indian languages in the digital news report next year. That's our intention. We have to work out the practicalities, but we hope to do that. And, and I really look forward to having some more data to bring to this discussion. Uh, you know, our view is that India is incredibly important in itself uh, as the as the sort of large and complicated um, uh, democracy that it is. But I think it's also that India in many ways is indicative of where the future of news lie around the world. India has a young population. India has a population where despite uh, deep inequality and poverty, people are embracing mobile media and digital media uh, with great enthusiasm. Um, and I think Indian publishers are facing some challenges of how do you cover a very diverse and disputatious society with limited resources in the face of quite hostile political pressure, with limited trust and a somewhat sort of vulnerable economics that are global challenges. In that sense, I think India is incredibly important for the rest of the world to understand as well, because I think we can learn a lot from the experience of, uh, uh, you know, Avinash and Ritu and their colleagues, uh, both reporters and journalists, as well as editors and executives. Um, so I think we have a lot to learn. I think it's clear, as, as Anand um, in particular alluded to, that um, the very long history in India of um, newspaper cover prices being um, almost symbolic and largely reflecting the recycling value of the paper that the, that the news was printed on, um, and the very, very heavily reliant on advertising, combined with a television market where a lot of channels, at least in English, were not really making money, but were sort of subsidized by various um, proprietors with different interests, um, is a, if you had sort of 10, 20 years of that, 
it's very hard to turn on a dime and start charging for news if, if, if half the population has never really actually paid the cost of the news that they consume. It's very hard to change that. Um, I guess my personal view is that as difficult as that will be, I really hope that more Indian publishers, not all, but some will try that. I think it has to be part of the revenue mix going forward. Advertising alone will work for some, but I don't think it'll work for everyone, just as pay won't work for everyone. And I hope that more will try to, to convince people that their journalism is distinct enough and valuable enough that it's worth paying for. Um, and I know that that's easier to say than it is to do, but I think we need to recognize that, you know, take the case of the United States, you know, it took several years, I would say almost five years before people really began to believe that the New York Times turn to a paywall was actually a good decision. These things don't happen overnight. And similarly, when we look back at the growth of, um, of circulation in print newspapers, you know, now we take it for granted that we have these huge circulations, but that didn't happen overnight either. That took years and sometimes decades to build up. So I think sometimes we have to try to sort of focus on the long game. And I know it's easier to say than to do and believe that the work we do is valuable enough that we can convince at least some people to pay for it, to support it, to guarantee our independence and enable us to hold power to account. Okay, so I can tell you uh, what I think, and you're right that the news broadcasting industry in India does not think in that direction. My personal belief is that, that nothing should be free. Because if anything is free, it's never valued uh, ever again. Now, considering the ecosystem of the cable distribution in India, news channels does not have an incentive to put a paywall on that on television. Even those channels which are so-called pay, they are five rupees. Two one, rupees, one rupee, right. Two, five paisa like that, this is priced. It's a notional pricing. What we want to do now, and I'm, I have, so my digital team is against it, I can tell you. But we produced about 40 documentaries in the last nine years. Okay. These are timeless documentaries each documentary having nine to 10 episodes. The one right now we are making on the COVID impact. I want to put all of them behind paywall on my site. Right now it is available on YouTube. Now the fear that they have, the moment you remove it, we don't get the traffic. If you don't get the traffic, then we don't get the advertising revenue, blah, blah, blah. And I said that one day you have to be so you will find ABP News Network in the next three months' time to have a paywall. I'm also moving into another direction, which is we have some celebrity anchors who do shows either once in a month or on a daily basis. What I'm adopting the model is of uh, 
WSJ on them that when you come on the site, you will get a glimpse of about a minute other than the live broadcast. So live broadcast anyway is funded through the, uh, through the advertising. But later on, VOD, if you want to watch, you can watch for a minute, but beyond that, you have to pay. I can tell you my entire digital team is against it, but I'm going ahead and doing it because the gain side is high. The loss side is what? I mean, and, and, and their focus is traffic. Your focus is sustainability. I think that's, that's a big difference in how you will approach the problem. Yes. Okay. Uh, Ritu, um, you have started your, I don't know if it's a paywall, but you know, paying for, for news, for quality news. So is your strategy in your view, your specifically, and you think in the Indian market generally also, if you could just address both, is the strategy going to be around like mission, like journalism's mission. So by pay for it, it's like, I and mean, like news laundry had done pay to keep news free. I mean, we just wanted people to get into the habit, whether they pay us or others, you know, our initial campaigns or pay whoever you want, but pay you get, get into the habit. Is it going to be around the mission? Is it going to be around the brand? Like the Indian Express has a legacy brand, you know, right from the emergency to recently the investigation, or is it a uniqueness of format? young person's animation. What will the strategy be to get people to pay for news out of these three? Or if there's some that the report and I have kind of overlooked in Quinn's case and generally, what, what do you think? I think for the Quint, it's very clearly going to be, um, we, we hope to plan to at some point turn pay. We right now have a membership model. We're definitely, uh, our focus is definitely about supporting the mission of journalism, uh, which is why if uh, all our amplification is of, at any given time, is of the big stories that we are getting, which nobody else is doing. Uh, and I think, and I may be, I may eat my words later, but I think any pay product should only keep that part of your content behind a paywall, which isn't easily available already. So commodity news being behind a paywall, that makes people wonder why they're paying for it. So you have to build a very strong, so your brand is about the mission. Your question about brand or mission, I think your, your, your brand should be built around the mission, um, and which is, which is also which is also good for journalism per se, because it pushes you away from doing curations and aggregations and repurposing wires and makes journalists do what journalists must do, which is go and get the story, give voice to the voiceless, break stories which uh, speak truth to power or uh, you know, bring fact to uh, the reader or to the viewer. I think that is really where, where we are at. Uh, in fact, we are now, uh, we have given up all our subscriptions to all our buyers. We are now no more focusing on all those, um, you know, those, those things that platforms try to do, which is looking at keywords and trending words and, you know, do a little more Bollywood and, you know, a lot of that, which comes and sometimes contaminates news. Uh, we've completely moved away from that. Um, when did and, change happen? I mean, you're saying, I mean, you were, you had wire agencies and, I mean, the traffic and just doing news that everyone was doing was a part of your bouquet. Yeah, we were also doing that while we were still focusing on doing original and enterprise news. But we were, we were also doing that. You know, we had ANI and PTI and INS and, you know, we had all of that. Um, 
And actually, actually, ever since we've moved away, we've actually seen a, a significant growth in direct traffic. We have seen a significant growth in search traffic, which we were struggling with. Because a lot of our, we get, we are, we are pretty large given our size. We're pretty large on social media. We're pretty large on YouTube. We're fairly, we're, you know, we're rubbing shoulders with some of the biggest legacy players on Facebook, for instance, uh, which is a good thing and not a good thing as well, right? So this is where, and so that's, that's our model for, um, for going behind a paywall when we do right now. We're, that's, right now, that's our communication. That and the other vertical that we are, the two other smaller uh, entities that we are beginning to enlarge is of fact check, which we think is, is, is great even in terms of building trust because we have, it's, it's, an, it's an interactive process where we ask readers to send in uh, stories that they may have come across on the dark web, which we may not have access to as uh, journalists. And then we do the fact check on that. That and the citizen journalism a bit because I think citizen journalism is now here. Whether whether it is um, critical moments from CAA protests in India, whether it's George Floyd's neck being pinned down for nine minutes, increasingly the moment is being captured by citizen journalism. Then it is for uh, journalists to step in and do the follow up, to do the investigations, to do the analysis, to do the opinion, and to do the questioning. So those are the other two. So that's so original journalism, fact check, and um, citizen journalism, sort of participating with, partnering with the reader in the in the process of journalism. That's really what we are working at. And of course, for Bloomberg Quint, it's pretty clear. It's a it's a very strong corporate and business side. It's got a hard paywall, and it we've seen a incredible upsurge in subscriptions. Uh, uh, even during the time, I mean, it's, we know that we've had to downsize because of the, you know, no license. We've had to cut down the operation. We've had to scale down. And during this process of scaling down, which was a, you know, pretty dark moment for us as a company, we've actually seen a crazy surge in subscriptions. So something is right there. But There's yeah, the logic of, I guess, the Bloomberg Quint, it's, it's, it's a niche product. It is for a niche kind it's of... It's a utility. It's also, there's also a utility factor there. Exactly. So, yeah. uh, all right. So, Anant, uh, for you, what is the strategy going to be? Um, of course, your brand is a very strong brand. But from what I understand, if you could just address this in a little bit, what are the costs of distribution of a newspaper? Like, if... You were to say, you know, forget print. We will not print the express. It does not have to go in everybody's hands. People know the print. I think in the digital space, uh, in Express and NDTV are higher than, you know, most of the other legacy news players, uh, whether it's your app consumption or digital consumption. Uh, would that be something that you would consider or is that too radical? And what is your strategy around? Is it the mission? Is it the brand? Or is it the uniqueness of your formats or your product? Yeah. No, look, I think, I think let's just park the print piece aside for a second. Because I believe I'll address that first. I think I really, really, bottom of my heart, believe that print is here to stay. I mean, I keep saying this. And I know, it's, you know, people, you know. But, but every indicator shows. I mean, the kind of demand for the newspaper in Bombay was the most severe lockdown. Everybody's like, when's the paper coming? The moment the moment the vendor could get there, you know, in fact, I, I actually think if, if the distribution comes back to where it should be fast enough, you'll actually see it. You'll, I, I will not be surprised if print readership ends up growing next year, uh, you know, because 
suddenly that 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 the actually the newspaper has been rediscovered i think one of the similarities that we spoke about was uh, you know the idea of uh, credible news and information i mean people you know wanting that domain expertise now in in you know in uh, in the news that they consume i think that's one thing we've seen i think print stands for that so i think print uh, the idea okay the issue with print distribution is can we keep increasing that cover price so we're not you know we're not we're not selling at that at, as rasmus said you know we're not selling at that just about the price of the recycle value can we can it be a 15 rupee daily paper can every newspaper in india be selling at 15 rupees rather than 5 or 6 i think that's the battle that we have to fight and that's a, that's a if we win that battle there will be a sustainably a sustainable growing print readership battle and i think that's one thing the industry has to tackle on the digital subscription i really believe that there are two different users um, even if the same print reader wants to be an indian express digital subscriber he's being a subscriber on digital not for the newspaper but for all the stuff that goes uh, you know on the digital side so the videos the podcasts the 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 the, the real time news updates from the credible source and the trusted source of news and information so i i think i have podcast behind a paywall no 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 we have podcast very well distributed actually it's all all across but i'm saying you know that's what people are going to want to sort of engage and being part of that larger community you know you know we you know saying that you are an express subscriber that you're supporting uh, independent journalism just supporting journalism which which has a history of standing for independence which is a history of empowering you i mean you know these sounds like these things sound like platitudes but, but i do believe there's a value and you know we haven't even begun to see how much that is before we explore the mission of journalists and what the mission is one piece i think the other piece also you know what is this doing for me uh, and i think what we kind of want to get into is that you know that the idea of without any without any baggage or any bias we're going to explain stuff to tell you why you should know this why this matters to you because uh, you know i feel people want to you know impress a job interview no matter how young they are they, they, they kind of people want new ideas they, they they want to learn i i think it's a misconception to think that you know you have to dumb down to have volume the problem is is that we have, we don't and you know hand on our hearts we don't have the experience in investing in the production of the content as much as we do in creating the content you know, in, in terms of in, in reporting that content i think that is one big cultural shift that uh, i think the quint has done a very good job with uh, you know the, the amount of effort that goes into the same story that we would do um, so i think and you know and th- i think this happened with magazines and print earlier right like the magazines was so much more analysis once a week but then so much more analysis looks so much more attractive uh, you know just it, it just invited you to read uh, i think that that big change has to happen on the digital side that's one the second piece from our perspective we believe that as indian express uh, you know left think we right the right think we left so let's embrace this new, this this uh, this uh, the respect we have as a, as a as an independent objective credible news brand and let's explain things you know let's let's explain bihar elections let's explain uh, you know uh, like we did you know just today whether it's coronavirus or whether it's you know why the oscars uh, are, are are reinventing their format uh, so explain to explain things you need to have a certain sense of authority i think we have that and i think that's what a big bet of ours will be going forward okay um avinash um i want to come again to the revenue piece because there's enough journalistic navel gazing that happens all the time anyway um this is something you know news laundry also keeps harping about about sustainability in corona like well revenues have, uh, while traffic has gone up as you said or eyeballs or the viewership because the auto industry and other fmcgs which 
you know, are the biggest advertisers are not advertising because they have no sales. The news industry or the legacy news industry becomes heavily dependent on government ads. And we saw that editorial in Indian Express, um, you know, which lashed out at Sonia Gandhi about her statement that the government should not advertise for the next one year until we can bounce back from this economic catastrophe that COVID has brought along with it. In that environment, and uh, after that, you know, if Anant, you could also take this. Uh, how do you maintain your brand credibility when between your be between your bulletins, the ad that is coming is showing, you know, Modiji or Kejriwal or Yogiji or something, you know. Isn't it from a complete marketing point of view or branding point of view, it's a tough convince. So, you know, so, Abhinandan, that's where the CEO's role come into play. So I have a sales team which gets the ad and the editorial team which runs the... And you are right, a large amount of advertising happened by the state governments. Central government did almost zero advertising. Yeah. Because most of us anyway busy telling what they are doing. So they did not need to advertise uh, on television. Uh, and I can tell you, uh, including myself, uh, we have received a lot of calls as to this figure that you are showing is wrong, this news is not right, uh, pull this down, uh, underplayed, etc., etc. And our standard response to this is that, and if, if ever anybody uh, uh, tried to throw the weight saying that, that you know, will stop all advertising, I'll say very well, go ahead and do it. Because I know that they are not advertising to control the content on our channel. They are advertising to impress their vote banks. Because their vote bank is also watching the same channel which is running other news items. And I say this is the only defense that you have. If there is, a, there is an adverse news about your policy that we have run, the only defense that you have is the same space that I provide you to say something through advertising. And so far, uh, we have not come under that pressure. But about the branding the product from a, from a viewer's point of view. Right. I mean, you think it would be easy to convince them. The optics. Sorry. I mean, I understand that you keep a, you know, a, a firewall between the sales team and the editorial team, but I'm saying when you're building a brand, right. From a customer facing point of view, does it impact the products optics? Uh, not necessarily. If you look at it, uh, uh, I don't look at it that way in my business at all. And, uh, you know, uh, I have been a student of history and uh, during the British move, uh, during the British Empire time, Indian, Indian freedom movement, uh, the, the governor general of India thought that uh, the Indians, uh, the poor Indians actually does not know what is right for them. But when we studied subaltern history, we know that the songs that the, the farmers were singing had a rebellion against the British Empire. So people are intelligent enough to know what is right or what is wrong. When you are dependent on government advertising and then you are diverting your content to praise the government, then people will know. And there are media outlets who do this day in, day out. And there are those who don't. And that's why when this COVID crisis happened, 
the largest amount of online viewing happened on top two channels. There was one AVP network and there was one of my competition. And data is out in public. Buck itself measured that and reported to AC Nielsen uh, on a weekly basis. Week after week, for about 10 weeks now, it's on the top of the chart. Because the medium which are trustworthy, and both of us, both these TV channels, have very heavy government advertising. Okay. So the people don't look at it like that way, if you, if you carry uh, government advertising. Anand, would you ask yeah, No, no, I think he's, I mean, no, I think he answered it very well, and I think he's right. I think there is a, I think readers understand the, the difference between an ad and, and content. And you know, if, I mean, if you're going to be so purist to say that there should only be editorial content in the newspaper or in any sort of package, um, I mean, you know, it's tough to take that argument beyond, you have to take it beyond government also. So then there shouldn't be no ad if you, why should Maruti or any, any corporate advertise, you have to report on them as well. And they are, you know, today, in fact, corporates are, you know, are, are governments of their own. Some of these guys are so big now. Um, so, so I think independent journalism and advertising have to live together. And, you know, especially for governments, uh, I think, for, especially for government, the, you know, a, a news product is a great place to advertise because it, it is by definition a very engaged citizen who's consuming this, uh, you know, uh, as opposed to putting an ad on a, on a, on a Kapil Sharma show. Uh, the rest are getting it through WhatsApp and <laughs> WhatsApp anyways. And so. No, I think, you know, and, and, and it's interesting how much WhatsApp is trying to prevent the distribution of news, uh, you know, the broadcasting of news in India, especially. And, and, and we can ask Rasmus about this because I think that's one big thing that we've been trying to do is so trying to push, you know, news on WhatsApp from, from an organized, you know, if, if I can have a subscription service on WhatsApp, I think, you know, that'll be huge. But, you know, WhatsApp is not very forthcoming about making that happen. Uh, all over the world, they've not allowed any, uh, you know, new service or scale to really, uh, to, to really grow. In fact, they've always curtailed it. So, so it's interesting that, uh, so therefore this, the, the a platform of daily or, you know, I mean, a certain frequency of news attracts a certain kind of citizenship, uh, you know, to consume. And that is a citizenship that is actually, uh, that, that I think is a, is, is a great target audience for, 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 for government and political advertising. Okay, um, I just like to tell our audience that Avinash has another meeting to go to because I am going to extend this since I have these people until they completely throw their device away. I'm going to extend this till three o'clock. But Avinash, if you have to go, uh, do let me know. Uh, I know you have another meeting, but we have uh, 20 minutes. I, I'm hoping I can. I'll wave at you five minutes before. Uh, sorry? So I have a meeting sharp at three. I can spend 10 more minutes. Oh, great. That's perfect. So, uh, so Rasmus, if I can just come to you, I have. You know, two specific questions. One is when you said it's a temporary reliance of trust in the news brand on television, COVID has led to. A, why does your report say it's temporary? Um, I mean, is there, because we don't know yet, right? I mean, maybe this habit will not change. Now, people, the 300% jump in television, why do you believe it won't stay? And um, secondly, this entire political alignment is a key factor for the subscription piece. It's very different in different parts of the world. Like in the US, the partisanship plays a very big role in the subscription numbers, whereas in some of the others, it doesn't uh, in Europe. While you said, I think Denmark or Norway, it was very high, but towards the right. Uh, you, where, where do you think India falls on this? And why is this temporary, the bump on trust? Sure. So I'll sort of break that the answers to that down into sort of three components. One is the bump in use. Another one is the change in trust. And the third one is the relationship between politics and subscription. Um, in terms of use, 
there is a crisis. All of us are thrown into a new situation. All of us have to make choices about how do we respond to this? How do we protect ourselves, our loved ones, and our communities? How do we judge the decisions made by people in positions of power about how they are responding to this crisis? Um, and, and, and in this unusual situation, I think all of us are inclined to turn uh, to sources that we trust uh, in advance and we will access them in the means that, that we are accustomed to. Um, television, at least in sort of uh, Western markets, have benefited uh, largely because uh, older people who already rely on television news watch even more television news, uh, in large part because they're locked down at home, so they have more time. Uh, digital has benefited in parallel, uh, often similarly, uh, from everyone using digital more sometimes because they have more time, but also in many cases because people who were accustomed to reading a print newspaper now have to make do with the e-paper or the app or the website. Now, the reason I say that I think the bump for, for television news will be temporary is that, you know, at some point the lockdown will end and people will go back to work and they will have less time. I think the bump in digital will also fade, but not to the same extent, because I think some of that is about people who didn't use digital so much before using it more. And I think they will find, as almost everybody else who has started using digital media uh, and mobile media across the world, that this is actually quite convenient and quite satisfying. Um, and if you break someone's habits for three months, uh, I think only a subset of those people will go back to print, at least in the markets that I know well. Then there is the question of trust. Uh, and I, I, I would very much agree with the premise of your question. We shouldn't expect these trends to be the same in every country across the world. Trust is complicated. It differs in different contexts. The reason I suspect that it'll often be temporary is based specifically on research we've done in the United Kingdom where we've surveyed every two weeks during the coronavirus crisis. And what we find is early on, there was sort of a rallying around the flag. People turned to established trusted institutions. Um, but then over time, very quickly, as it became clear that um, both the sort of the government response had perhaps in some ways been lacking but also that because it was in some ways lacking, this became increasingly political, increasingly divisive, increasingly debated. It became more of a partisan issue of what you thought of the news. So in just six weeks, we saw a massive decline in trust in the government, first and foremost, but also decline in trust in news as this became more political. Um, and I, as said, we don't have data in, in India, but I think it's fair to say that the government, uh, the central government response in India has also been debated in India and people with different political persuasions will probably have different views on how well the government has done and also thus by extension different views of how different media have covered the government. So I would expect that there might be a similar dynamic in India. Uh, finally on uh, subscription and politics. Um, I think the the patterns we see are very clear that there are, you know, partisanship plays a large, large role in the United States. Uh, in many European markets, uh, it's much less clear that there is a political dimension. I think the underlying commonality here really is more than anything is about um, the combination of identity and means. Who do you want to do? be, who do you want to be, and what are you able to do given the means at your disposal? Um, and I think that's the underlying commonality between a quite political decision to say, I will subscribe to this uh, news organization or I will donate to this news brand because I support their politics versus the saying, you know, I will subscribe to this news publication because I want to be the kind of person who reads this and who benefits from this and learns from this. And, and I think we can see in the United States that 
um, these can overlap in a way. It's true that there are some very partisan brands who have done well for themselves uh, in the United States in, in news and media for, for the last sort of many years. Fox News is very clearly on the right politically. It's one of the most lucrative uh, news brands in the world. Um, and of course, many critics would say that the New York Times and the Washington Post might be seen as leaning liberal, even though their executive editors would deny that furiously. Um, but we also see others. The Wall Street Journal is a center-right publication editorially. They are doing well with subscriptions. Some individual local newspapers in the United States are also doing relatively well in terms of signing up digital subscriptions. So identity can be about other things in politics. It can also be about where you are. If you are in Boston, you might want to read the Boston Globe. If you are in Seattle, you might want to read the Seattle Times, irrespective of your politics. And that's, I think, what we see in the Nordic countries, just as we will hopefully see people in India saying, you know, I want to be the kind of person you know, who follows the Quint and therefore I will donate. I want to be the kind of person who reached the Indian Express, therefore I will subscribe. And, and of course, other publications like the Hindu and, 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 and Business Standard and others have, have followed, followed the similar line in India. But Fox does not have subscription. I mean, you give Fox an example. I read this report, I think it was the Neiman Lab um, website. Um, it's a few research that was done. Uh, I forget exactly which website it was on, where their research and their, uh, you know, um, poll showed that the tendency of people who self-identify as liberals tend to pay for news, whereas those who self-identify themselves as conservatives or the right wing tend not to pay for news. I mean, I, I, I think we should, uh, just to untangle that a little bit, I mean, the majority of Fox, uh, both um, you know, their business and the majority of the consumption is based on television, which is very much a pay product. It's part of a very expensive cable bundle. And it's in fact, it's one of the most expensive channels in the United States. Uh, so it's true that digital is, is not subscription based at Fox. It's basically brand extension uh, and, and sort of broadening the funnel at the top and retaining visibility and, 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 and relevance. Um, but Fox's business is very much based on pay. Uh, and I would add to it also that it's true in terms of the more conventional digital, subs digital subscriptions that, that many of those go to upmarket brands that are often read by people who lean liberal politically. But I think we should also just recognize they're read by people who are affluent, uh, urban, well-educated, who lean liberal. And I suspect that the other things matter as much. It's more to do with their purchasing power rather than their political ideology. I mean, they not only, but that's what I meant by, you know, who you want to be and what you have the means to do. There is an aspirational element to this. What kind of person do I want to be? And then, of course, there's also a question. You have finite resources. Some of us are very privileged and we can easily subscribe to a news publication. Other people have to make harder choices. You know, what do I want to spend my money on? And, and news does not always come top of that list. Uh, so, Ritu, um, on people who, um, in, in, they had polls in various countries that who is the biggest source of spreading misinformation. And India is not there, but... I would imagine we'd be the U.S. example of, we'd say, politicians. Um, if you could just weigh in on the advertising part of it, it, is that part of Quint's forward plan? Is your strategy at all taking that into account as a significant revenue earner? Uh, and if not, uh, when we hit convergence, when you know, print, broadcast, digital is all goes through one cable, you know, that same cable will bring everything into our home. So whether it is a television channel, whether it is a website. Uh, then, uh, where where does that leave those who are completely dependent on advertising when you're taking on a Facebook or a Google? I think I don't think dependence on advertising is going to vanish anytime soon. Um, but I think what what 
is beginning to happen and I heard that in, in what Avinash said and, I, and we are seeing a bit of that in what we are trying to do at the print, which is I think lessening your dependence on the platforms for your distribution. I think if you can build direct traffic to your site or give people a reason to come directly to your site and part of that is about behind about being behind a paywall as well as as, as we have been seeing even at uh, closer home for us at the Bloomberg Quinn. I think advertising is I don't think advertising is vanishing anytime soon. Um, whether you go for government advertising or not, uh, I think is a call that in which will publishers take. But I think what is more what has become more dangerous is um, paid content. Um, and, and in fact, a lot of the TV channels that we are Fox equivalents, etc., are really, I mean, they're propaganda channels, right? Uh, so how they are being funded or what their business models are, they, they, they come and mess up with other independent journalists because, you know, the, the sales they walk team. the market. Yeah, because the sales team is, a, is an apolitical sales team, right? And they are all going out. Uh, and so there is, so, you know, because you, you, you started your question to me with misinformation and politicians being, is, are being seen as a source of misinformation, I think in India, you'd find that a very divided response. I think there are those who believe in the government, who have been uh, made to believe that the government is the savior, especially right now in the current uh, COVID crisis. And I don't know how many of those, I, mean, I know that I'm constantly having debates with people on WhatsApp uh, who are not willing to look at data, who are not willing to look at credible news sources, but are, are happy to look at whatever is coming to them, either through propaganda media or through news content, which is coming without a identity in terms of a brand, but is circulating on, uh, uh, on channels like WhatsApp. So it's, it's, it's all very mixed up right now. And I don't think, I know Avinash said that the audience is very discerning and they are able to uh, make up their mind. But that is not, uh, from where I stand, that is not what I'm seeing right now. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of confusion about what is news content and what is, what is being uh, paraded or masquerading as news content. Uh, so that's one uh, aspect of it I, I don't so i i don't think the subscription model i we know that philanthropy in india is few and far between we know that subscription is small i don't know how many regional news sites can depend on subscriptions and the scalability of it i think it's and one sustainable a of it. team of i think it will be i think it has to be a mix i think it has to be a mix in the uh, revenue source but I don't think, I, I think it's a critical mix in the revenue source and hopefully as more and more subscription growth happens, your reliance on ad revenue comes down. But I don't think you can, you can look away entirely unless you keep your costs so minimal. Now, if, if, you're a, if you're a quint, for instance, where for us, ground reporting is critical. Now, ground reporting is very expensive. So for us to say that we'll become, we'll really cost cut so much down to, you know, having 10 reporters who are largely sitting in the office and therefore because we can't uh, spend on them going out, then I don't know, then your mission is lost. Right. So, 
Okay. Yeah, I mean, what, what I think what 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 ends up happening, you know, and I think it's been written about before. Is, you know, you end up with lots of niches. Somebody like whatever, how you define your niche? Somebody who's covering, you know, a, a region. Somebody who's covering a topic area of interest. Somebody who's covering a political, you know, who's got a political leaning. All niches, and you end up, you know, that that idea of a center of market, balanced, packaged news product. Uh, and I don't know whether Rasmus has a view on this. But that idea of a central market package news product is, you know, that that's not a that that that, that traditional supermarket of, of 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 news information and content which everybody has something for. Uh, can that survive the digital subscription spaces? Is still a question. I I, I believe, and controversially, I'm saying this, but I would say the NYT and and Wash and, and the one the the, uh, the the Washington Post have both uh, have both become more partisan. Uh, since they no, since their focus digital subscription. Just hold that thought. I know Avinash has to. I want his answer this quickly, and then I'll come back to sure. you, Avinash. Uh, specifically, and you know, the specific question I have is that while I like Ritu, I disagree on on that wisdom of the crowd. Uh, but uh, I'll tell you specific ads that I saw. It was an ad that was addressed to the second that was addressing farmers and migrants as second persons. Like I understand ABP is a Hindi channel, but on English papers, all English papers. that this is what we have done for you now the farmers and migrants i know don't read english papers or watch english channels so i refuse to believe that ad was done in order to inform its electorate it was a delivery mechanism for revenue to those platforms and english ad for indian farmers and migrants is not any private limited company that you know the the media buying was done with that logic would be fired so i'm not convinced of of that that it is nothing to do with what you're saying so you were saying that uh, that uh, the advertising is not happening to inform the electorate not necessarily all the time lots of ads are demonstrably in a language and in a format that their target audience is not consuming not all but many yes i don't disagree with you not all the ads are meant for them uh there are ads designed which which runs on um, i mean i remember once uh, once uh, the biggest advertising on chicken gunia was happening on the sports network you know so obviously uh, many a times advertising uh, spent on different medium uh, does not necessarily uh, reflect what actually it meant for but largely uh, the ads which we are getting right now are about the health healthcare facilities uh, precautions uh, and what you should do uh, in terms of uh, if somebody in the family gets sick so on home quarantine and all that etc these are the ads that we are getting and um, uh, there is not much difference that i have seen in past 6 8 weeks as far as the vernacular and the hindi news channels are concerned in english yes it is surprising to me that those ads are appearing in english newspapers but this is how uh, the government looks at the newspaper business i mean they they think that's their moral responsibility to also give ads to the newspaper to survive so it's in a way it's a contribution or donation as to what you what what was mentioned before but uh, yes the 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 reason uh, the the large amount of government advertising is a very big source of revenue right now to a network like ours it is close to about 10% which is huge 
right. also think that print and television is very difficult to identify who consume the ads unlike digital right. where you can so targeted I mean, yeah so much more efficient broadcast background i don't think that was ever a deliverable uh, in broadcast i'm sure likewise for print on who was the ad targeted and who consumed it and to what extent <laughs> yeah so go ahead anand finish your thought thanks avinash it's uh, two yeah. minutes to three thank you so much asmus abhinandan thank you so much uh, yeah go ahead anand you were saying uh, well, well you were kind of talking about the subscription thing but what you were saying is that um uh, an organization you know such as yours uh, the scale of the idea that scale of you know of, of covering the things that need to be covered and that we you know with the most sophisticated data analytics is going to be a negative roi in terms of content right like that that one fire at a random you know playground if i'm you know now the analytics are so sophisticated in newsrooms that you know you can exactly tell each byline in fact each team of uh, you know uh, of 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 journalistic resources Uh, that have gone into each story and what what kind of revenue that has earned from the user you know that it kind of it it i think it forces this idea of niches uh, you know and digital subscriptions kind of create that that concept and i think that's a little bit dangerous and i think therefore as you were saying that digital subscription can't be i think the answer for all news it's got to be one comp especially in india it's got to be one component and also you know i i i do believe in india this left wing right wing is not as um is not as uh, sort of extreme as it is in as it is in america you know so i think that 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 also confuses the the the, the nichification and and this whole you know the winner takes all or the winner takes most dynamic most as rasmus has said yeah uh, the report that it pointed out you think that will be a good thing for news or a bad thing because i mean i think news is a unique market where usual market you know wisdom is that more competition in, improves the quality of product yeah in the news market we've seen and you know you know i've seen since i joined news track in 95 more competition has reduced the the, yeah. the quality of news. i mean i can confidently say and, and you know even you know the programs that ritu used to produce even some of them that weren't news related that were more travel related the quality of programming of living on the edge or news track was way better than any news programming we have now Yeah. So since it's a unique market, and like we've seen recently, IBM, Face, uh, uh, Amazon—well, not Amazon, but IBM has—and I think Microsoft has told the U.S. government that we will not let you use our face recognition technology. They're backing up from that. So these organizations are so big and strong that they can say, "We don't need you." Yeah. So in a sense, you could say that's good because now they can stand up to the government. So would a winner takes most logic in news and twenty years down the line, if that there were just five pillars standing, you know? HD Express, Hindu TOI, and the English space, and me and Ritu were gone. But uh, would that be a good thing for news, or would that be a bad thing? I, I want to know. Then I'll come to Ritu. I do think that um, the people who will survive with the audience money, uh, you know, not not just in terms of consumption, but actually people who are paying money to to say, if if you know, I think I think there'll be enough players for it to be a healthy environment. Is my hope and my dream, and I, I you know, I'm uh, and and I and I think that. i think that you know we have we have substituted sort of quality for scale uh, i don't think it's only happened in the news environment i think it's happened with all forms of media i mean look at entertainment i mean you know I, i not not too long ago you know you had 300 channels not one you could watch um 
So I think something that that has happened, uh, and I think you know it's like a cycle. And I think that somebody will come and reinvent with high quality content, with integrity of content and production, uh, which will then attract the consumer. It'll be discerning consumer, then that will grow. So I, I mean, I I do, and I have no op- op- option but to be optimistic. Ah, Ritu, you were saying would that? Be I'm saying <laughs> that that I I I disagree a bit there because I think in the past. Four or five years, I think we've also seen some of our finest journalism. Sure. And apart from NDTV, the Indian Express, most of that journalism hasn't come from those who are potentially 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 winner take all candidates. Because I also think that some of them are so large that you know. So I mean, and some of some of some of the greatest journalism has actually also come from uh, regional. Uh, uh, you know, upcountry journalism. Yes. You're, you're so right. I actually want to discuss that, but yeah. we went our time about so, local papers surviving is such yeah. an important. In fact, so, NPR had so, a podcast on that. And what to say is, is it because some of us new media have less at stake? We don't have large ships to worry or to turn, so we can be far more um, ballsy, to use a sexist term, about journalism because you there is. You know, if I don't get, I don't get government uh, advertising at the quick. We don't get it, but it doesn't matter to me. Uh, so, so in order to get the government uh, advertising, uh, I don't need to do anything, uh, which which eats into the kind of journalism I want to do. And I know that even down south, some of the finest journalism has come from some of the smaller, um, uh, newer media or the you know the ones that have just broken away from larger media and set up uh, as smaller niches as as anand pointed out so while i agree that you know there was a certain there was in there in this design of speech sometimes quality of production or quality of fact check etc has taken a hit but i think we are actually seeing despite uh, the government of intolerance that we have despite all the odds despite all the financial and regulatory choking that is being done i think we are seeing some of our strongest journalism so i don't think so i am also optimistic because i don't think all is lost and therefore i hope it doesn't become a winner takes all eventually in india i hope there are those who are wanting to spend on an indian express there want those who are wanting to keep an indian tv alive and vibrant who is willing to keep you know be philanthropic towards the wire to keep scroll the quint and some of the regional smaller up countries you know uh, news outfits going like like the that journalist who who uh, broke the news on the midday meals for instance uh, right. you know i mean that's, we won't have got those stories but uh, and that's excellent journalism um, that's, and it stood every fact check and every uh, every threat against that journalist Uh, that's true i agree i think if you aren't an optimist you can't be in news uh, i think in <laughs> space is an optimist true. but rasmus to give you the last word uh, and you know the specific context of what you spoke about we didn't have time because there were so many things and these people i want to ask them so many questions is what you spoke about about you know local journalism and in fact npr had a podcast on this just 3 days ago on how the danger of local news papers and news platforms dying is not good for journalism because while ronan farrow may have taken the weinstein story to you know world it was broken by actually a very small newspaper which is local newspaper the larry nessar story 
was broken by a local newspaper. In fact, she was at the media number a few years ago. And they list out about seven of the biggest stories in the US that were actually broken by local papers. So if local papers die, it actually has a detrimental impact on news. Anything along those lines that you have thoughts on from your experience in having studied this space for so long? Uh, I mean, I think that's terrible. I think that's one of the things that worry me the most uh, about where we were heading. Um, broadly, I should say, you know, the, the environment is super challenging. There's no question about that. There is a war in journalism being fought by powerful people across the world who don't like being held to account or reported on. Uh, the economics are super challenging because advertising is moving online and then in the online environment platforms are capturing the majority of it. That doesn't mean there would be no advertising for news in the future, but there'll be less. And because there is an abundance of choice, you know, people will only pay for things that are truly distinctly valuable for them. And they'll only pay for a few things because at the end of the day, both time and money is limited. And on top of that, you have all the issues around trust and also the question of how do you cover very diverse and increasingly disputatious societies in a way where people will, uh, will trust that you are in good faith, even if they don't agree with your editorial line or your take on the events of the day. And we see that, I think, very powerfully around the big sort of political issues of our time, but also many social and cultural issues. And I think, to Ritu's point, that that we should sort of recognize the value of the journalism we had in the past, but also perhaps not romanticize it. I think some of the stories that the Quint has done on sexual harassment on Indian uh, university campuses, for example, I think we can't put it down to a lack of resource that Indian English language newspapers didn't report very much on that in the past. I think we have to sort of take into account that there were perhaps other factors, just as uh, the sort of very limited representation of people of lower caste and so on and so forth uh, arguably does influence how, how the news is covered, even if resources are there. Um, so I think there are some very real challenges, um, and I think local is key to that. The United States has, has been in a sort of, uh, in a global perspective, sort of particularly privileged position that due to sort of the accidents of how distribution and advertising uh, work, it was very lucrative to do local news for a long time in a big, rich country. We, of course, need to remember in most of the world, it was never like that. Uh, and they never had the kind of local newspapers that the United States and a small number of European countries had. I think in Brazil, it's something like about half of Brazilian cities have no local newspaper and never had one. So in, in this sense, while tragic and a real loss, and I think it is a very real loss and a, and a tragic one too, you know, the American experience is often not a very good guide to what things are like elsewhere, but local is very uh, pressured. That That's very clear. Uh, that said, I think, you know, I'm a cautious optimist in part for the reason that Anand says, you know, you have to be an optimist, you know, does it help to be a pessimist? I don't really see that it does. Um, uh, but also, I think, a realist and say, well, you know, we've got to focus on the things that we can control and we need to understand the reality of the situ situation we're in. I think the re reality of the situation we're in is, is a very challenging but not impossible. And I think it's encouraging that we are seeing in a crisis that people turn to trusted news providers for information. I think it's encouraging that while there are very real problems of misinformation and clearly some instances where all of us some of the time and perhaps a few of us all the time are sort of a bit naive about this, uh, that in general our research suggests that most people most of the time are quite discerning and quite skeptical of most of the information they come across on social media and are quite aware that some politicians some of the time are probably at the roots of many of the problems of misinformation even as there are other problems too. I think that's quite encouraging and I think it's quite encouraging that even in a world of near infinite choice of freely available content including news that a growing minority of people are saying you know what it's worth paying for proper news I agree. Um, and that even in situations where some people won't pay that they're still turning to free advertising supported 
news providers because they believe that what they do is different from just stuff and because they would rather have reported news from news organizations than just the opinion of some random person on the internet or you know the self-interested narratives of politicians who would like to sort of get re-elected re and escape accountability. I think that's encouraging. Uh, thanks, Rasmus. Uh, that report is really, really enlightening. I hope you do one for India. I have already sent this one to uh, my colleagues. I said, okay, now let's plan a strategy around these findings. Uh, I think we will need a series to really dissect your report and extract maximum value of it. One discussion is never going to be enough. So I'll talk to you about that. I don't know if that'll be possible. Thanks, Anant, uh, for the wonderful journal that Indian Express does, as I said before, while other brands can set the standards on scale, you guys have already set the standards on the quality of journalism. And Ritu, your coverage of the Delhi riots is, man, it, sorry, Anant, it's outdone you as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know whether you've seen the stories, but I've been following the Actually, thing. I must say, I really enjoyed the stuff in Hindi, uh, the videos in Hindi on the Delhi riots. I thought that was, uh, but, um, uh, yeah. the Delhi but riots were also, it's also on the, the migration. It's the that we are doing on the FIRs. The, uh, yeah, exactly, the, the report, charges, ground reports. Uh, how the chronology does, just doesn't stand. Outstanding. So thanks, guys. Uh, and to our audience, I hope you enjoyed that. I thoroughly enjoyed that. I could have gone on for another hour, but... Um, thanks for moderating. This has been great. And thanks to the whole News Laundry team for partnering on this event. It's been great. Thanks, guys. So thanks for watching, those of you who have this, for me, a very enlightening discussion. Uh, I hope there are many takeaways we can take, both as professionals in the news space and those who are just general news consumers. And I will wind up by saying what we've been saying in News Laundry for so long, when the public pays, the public is served. So do support independent news, no matter where you are or what kind of news you like. Because even if it doesn't become the only revenue source, the news consumer has to become an important revenue source for news to really survive to do what it does, which is talk truth to power and serve the public interest. Until the next time, see you. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes, and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs, and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to our YouTube channel.